What's happening, everybody? And welcome back to the Chaplaincy on the Go podcast. I'm your host, Josh Zorhoff, and I am a teaching pastor and a therapist in the West Michigan area. And this podcast is brought to you by the Fearless Family of Churches. And I'm excited to continue this conversation on mental health, emotional health, and wellness. And following the episode that we had uh, just just a few weeks ago with David Thomas, talking about raising emotionally strong boys. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast, I'd recommend that you push pause on this one and just go back to the previous episode and listen to some of The conversation points that David shares with us, his remarkable insights and experience as a father, as a therapist, as someone who works in pediatric care with young boys and their families. And if you did listen to that, I'm excited for the conversation today because we have a returning visitor with us on the podcast, my friend Alex Vogelzang. Alex was with us a, a few weeks ago as well, talking about the reality of addiction and the impact that that had on his childhood and what that does to children in their development. And Alex and I have been going through Raising Emotionally Strong Boys Together, the book in a group of men. And I thought it'd be fun to bring Al back and have him share a little bit and us talk a little bit about what it what it's like to raise boys and what it's like to go through this journey of emotional health together. So, Alex, welcome back. Thank you, Josh. I I'm happy to be here and um, recording chapter two with you of Alex and Josh together, uh, the sequel, I'll call it. Uh, I'm just workshopping names. So if we come back to something, we can. But no, thanks for having me. This is really fun. I'm excited that you're here. It's kind of cool to talk through this together again and, and really talk about, I think, in some ways, a continuation of our previous conversation, because there's there's so much about what happens to us as young men, as young people, and how that impacts how we live now and how that impacts how we raise our families. And so I think we're just going to dive right in. Al, tell us a little bit about your experience raising boys. Yeah. Well, first, I'll I'll second what you said about going back and listening to that episode with David Thomas was really good. David um, the book that he wrote, well, he's written several, but Raising Emotionally Strong Boys is a great book. It's been fun to go through with you. David, I was just in Nashville. If you're listening to this, I was just in Nashville. I didn't know you were down there, but next time I'm down there, I'm going to look you up and we're going to talk about Raising Emotionally Strong Boys together. But I've got two sons myself and a daughter. Uh, my boys are eight and six. And it's interesting to be at a point in life right now where I am looking back on my own childhood and saying, what can I take from that and bring into the the raising of my own children? And what can I leave behind and say, I can do something different or I can change something? So it's been really fun to have sons and my daughter, of course, but to be able to closely relate our experiences as, as kids 
is something that is an, always an adventure. And it's, it's really important that I do it in community. And I think that's where going through this book together with our group has been really impactful. Yeah, I agree. I'm intrigued by what you have to say in terms of what can I, what can I take away and what can I leave? And I've thought about that as well. I think the heart of every parent, uh, specifically, I think of every father is to do things better than what maybe we experienced. And I know that that's a, that's a tricky thing to say. There are some things that are out of your control, but I was, I was talking with some parents uh, just a few days ago and they just expressed like, we want to give our children everything that we didn't have. And they weren't just talking about resources or stuff or experiences. They were talking about love and emotional availability and support and care. And I've thought about that a lot and how I, I had a, I mean, I'm here. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm a productive taxpaying member of society. Uh, My parents did a lot to get me here and I'm so grateful for that. And yet at the same time, life was not always, well, rainbows and unicorns and, you know, wonderful. And it was hard. And there were some, there were some significant emotional moments. And I know there are things that I've carried away from my childhood that I've, I've not only carried away, but I've carried into my parenting now. And one of the things that I realized going through raising boys and I, I've known this, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, this is a great revelation. I read this book and now I'm fully aware of, you know, my emotional insufficiencies and brokenness, but it was clear to me that I had anger issues. I have, I have anger issues. I'd like to say that I don't have them anymore, but I am fully aware that when I am tired and it's been a long day and I don't have the resources emotionally anymore to like hold it all in, I'm in real danger of lashing out in anger toward my son. And one of the moments I had when we were going through raising boys, I realized at bedtime, sometimes the last thing, because I'm emotionally lazy and I'm not doing the work to regulate myself, the last thing that my son hears and sees and witnesses before he closes his eyes, is an angry father. And that's not okay. That's on me. If I want him to be a person who is formed by love and joy and hope and peace, then I have to be a person who is formed by love and joy and hope and peace. And that means before I do bedtime, And before, maybe even before I walk in the door, I've got to handle my own emotional stuff because otherwise he's essentially becoming the lightning rod 
to the storm of the day that I'm just, well, too lazy to deal. Yeah. I think you're hitting on something really important and, and I'm glad we're, we're talking about this. David in his book talks about milestones. There's, there's four milestones, um, vocabulary, perspective, empathy, and resourcefulness. I want to say them all now in case we don't get to all of them, but you're, you're hitting on something super important about naming it vocabulary, naming what you're feeling. This is something that, you know, we're talking about taking things from what we learned and implementing them with our own, with our own children, being able to do the work of naming what you're feeling can actually be harder than it just sounds. So you mentioned anger. Um, I had this thought where when I was growing up, I was angry as well. At least that's what I would categorize it as. And after having time to reflect on my experience and obviously a lot of um, counseling and discussion and things like that, one of the things that I discovered was a lot of what I was feeling was hurt. Mm. And there was anger there, but there was hurt there. And when you're hurt, I think it's easy to rely on anger as a outlet or an expression because it naturally is there for, for men, I would say. Um, so, you know, I just thought about one of the experiences I had growing up was um, we had a, an intervention with my mom. So like licensed, think about the TV show, like licensed interventioner came, we all sat there, wrote letters and, it was super hard. And I remember saying to my mom, there are consequences for this type of thing. And I'm a young boy and I'm hurting and I can't continue this relationship with you this way. And at that point, she didn't accept treatment. She wasn't ready for that. And to walk away from that, the the thought in my mind, the narrative I'm writing in my mind is my mom is choosing her addiction over relationship with me. And that hurt. But as a 17, 18-year-old, when our, our brains aren't form, fully formed until what, we're 26 or something? Yeah. Anyway. Um, that's That's, yeah. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. That's a good number. But that is walking away thinking that um that's hard to overcome and hard to name yeah yeah but that's i think the importance of sitting in that and doing the work of really identifying what am i feeling because now i i don't have to be, or I, I can't just be lazy and say, oh, I'm mad. I'm just mad. I'm mad because uh, of the situation. I'm mad because of my experience. I'm mad because of whatever this has done. Um, I'm actually hurt. Yep. I'm so glad you said that. And that, man, 
that is such a critical part for me because yes, I'm I was angry at bedtime. I was angry at bedtime. I was an angry dad at bedtime. But anger wasn't the primary emotion. Mm. Anger was just the easiest emotion. And it wasn't until I started asking the question, what am I feeling? And what happened today to put me in this place where I feel this way? Like, what did I go through today that would put me in a space right now to make me feel angry? Mm. And one of the items that David Thomas talked about and wrote about was the importance of journaling. Mm. And journaling has always been like, I've always had this love-hate relationship with journaling. I love the idea of it. I hate doing (laughs) it because it takes time and it just feels like one more thing. And so I had to create something for myself, something that now I use with my clients and people that I meet with. But I had to create a structured journal that essentially walked through four questions It forced me to answer four questions and whether I choose to do it or not, that's fine. But it forced me to at least think through four questions. The first is, what did I do today? What did I do today from the moment I essentially opened up my eyes until the moment I went, you know, to my journal, what has transpired in the day? I got up, I exercised or didn't exercise. I read the Bible and prayed, or I didn't do that. Or Pike woke up early and it disrupted everything in the morning and I didn't get a chance to do the things that I normally do in my routine. And I made breakfast and got lunches together. And maybe I talked to Christy for a minute, or I went and did a site visit to a company. And then I came to church and I did some work. And maybe I got a phone call from someone that was going through something hard. And it's really important for me to pay attention to those because like, if if I get a phone call from someone who is going through a divorce, well, that's a trigger for me because I went through a divorce. Or yeah. if I if I get a phone call from somebody who's dealing with some horrific like abuse situation, well, that's a trigger for me because like there is some history of that in my family. Or if if I get a phone call from someone who's dealing with anxiety or depression, that's a trigger for me too. And so I need to be aware of those things and aware of those conversations. Because at the end of the day, I carry all of that into next question. How did I feel Mm. about what I did today? So what did I do today and how did I feel or how do I feel about what I did today? And that is a really important, that's a really important question to answer. Like, I felt, I felt, I felt really proud of myself that I woke up early to read my Bible and pray. And I felt like a productive father and husband because I made lunches and I got breakfast around and I felt grateful to drive my son to school. And I felt sad when I got that phone call or I felt scared or I felt like I felt when 
my first wife left me, mm-hmm. when I listened to that argument, or I listened to what was going on. And at the end of the day, I felt, I felt tired. You know, most of the time, Al, I think I'm angry because I'm tired mm. and I'm anxious because I've done nothing to vent all the worry and burden of the day. Yeah. And I want my son to go to bed so I can have a few minutes of quiet to turn on Netflix hmm. and escape. And I'm angry because I don't get to have my escape right away. And maybe I shouldn't be escaping. Maybe I should just be grateful that I have a son and I have Mm -hmm. a wife and I get to do bedtime. And instead of turning on Netflix, I should look at my journal, think through the questions and realize it's been a long day and it's okay for me to be tired. And I don't have to be angry about that. Yeah. It's funny, the you and David talked briefly about this, but just the feelings chart that he mentioned, or maybe you mentioned, I forget, but we've been doing that recently more intentionally in our home with our kids, especially, but just saying... I've got a good example from this morning. Our daughter uh, was playing with a toy before school and it broke and she stormed off and she's four. I called her back over. I said, Hey, come, come look at this a second. Just tell me what you're feeling. Angry, sad because your toy is broken, frustrated because you wanted to play with this, but now you can't. But going through that exercise, even for us, is so important. And it's actually interesting to just be like, oh, I thought I was mad, but I'm actually tired. Yep. Or whatever it is. Yep. Or anxious or. Yeah. Yeah. I have, uh, we have a feelings chart at home too. Full disclosure, it is not posted anywhere yet. I bought, uh, like, it's actually, I bought a really nice Mm. pack. In fact, I'll put a a link to the pack that we bought on the podcast notes. Um, But it has like a feelings chart. And then it also has the ABCs of regulation. And so for every letter of the alphabet, there's an activity that the kids can do to like Mm. calm down. There's like a emotional zone, like red zone, green zone, blue zone for like where you are emotionally. So it's a very robust thing. We have them, but we haven't put them up anywhere. I've been lazy, uh, physically lazy, (laughs) uh, because I, I haven't put them up. And this is a good cue. Like I need to put those up because here's why. A few weeks ago, my son was doing something. I don't, I honestly don't even remember what he was doing. Oh, I remember what he's doing, but I can't say it on the <laughs> podcast because it involves, you know, boy stuff. Yeah. Uh, but he was being a boy. Okay. He yep. was being a boy. Yep. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? And if you're a parent of a boy, you can only imagine what the dude, yep. what are you doing thing is. And he like, immediately started yelling at me and was like, nothing, leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. like total eight-year-old, like, yeah. okay. And he was mad and he started like, I see him tearing up a little bit. And I was like, what, what is going on? Like, I just said, dude, what are you doing? 
And then I was like, oh, you know what? I have a feelings chart. Mm. Hey, buddy, can you come here for a second? Could you just point, could you just point to the emotion that you were feeling when I said, dude, what are you doing? And he pointed to the embarrassed one. Yes. And by me saying, dude, what are you doing? He felt embarrassed. And then I said, I'm so sorry that I embarrassed you. I will work on that. Mm. And he said, it's okay, dad. And away we went. He didn't have context for that word. And as David Thomas said, he needed not short answer. He needed multiple choice. Mm. And that's what the feelings chart is for. And the truth is, Al, I need multiple choice and I need fill in the blank. Like, most men I know need a structured journal that is basically, what did I do today? I did this. How did I feel about it? I felt this. What was I grateful for? Third question, I, I felt grateful for this or I feel grateful for this. And then finally, what am I hopeful for in tomorrow? I'm hopeful for this one thing. I need that. Yeah. I, 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 and I've been doing this a long time. I am not, I'm going to sit down and just write for two hours. That's just not me. Too much happens during the day to be able to, at the end of the day, take it all in and condense it into two paragraphs before you go to bed. I mean, I'm just, that's, that's a personal thing. But but I can do 10 bullet points. Yeah. Right on. (laughs) In fact, I was talking with a mutual friend of ours who was going to be on this podcast, you know, at some point. And I called him. I was like, Hey. Peter, man, um, are you going to be on the podcast? He's like, dude, I'm slammed. I'm busy for the next two weeks. I can't do it. I can't handle the stress. Love you, Pete. Um, and I was like, hey, have you journaled about it? Mm. No. Right. Like, there is a correlation to yeah. the stress we feel and the journaling or the work of just saying, hey, this is this is what's going on. Yeah, that's that's good. I I think the next milestone that David Thomas talks about is perspective. And not to keep going back to this, but they're kind of moving towards something happening. There's a reaction to it. And let's first name it and then let's put it in context like you were just saying and say, where What's really happening here? So we're big uh, board game players in, in our house right now. Pretty Pretty Princess is the game of choice. Yep, even even the the boys will clip on the earrings and put the crown on, and and it's good. But when somebody loses that game, there can be a reaction, and it's important to put that in perspective and say, there's a difference between, and this is what David talks about so eloquently in his book, but there's a difference between losing a game of Pretty Pretty Princess and losing a family member. Yeah. There's a difference between losing a scrimmage and losing your house. Yes. And to appropriately react to those and have the multiple choice of emotions and feelings is 
so important, especially at the age that we're, you know, we're talking about eight-year-olds pretty much right now, but that age where, where things are really starting to change, there's a lot of, we were just talking about it before we hopped on here, there's a lot more complexity in the world, the older that kids get. Yep. And to be able to have that context and that perspective is so important because it leads into the next thing, which is empathy. Yeah. Yeah. And even on that, recognizing the emotional moments now that our children go through in the younger years is essentially laying the foundation for a deeper understanding of their emotions later. Yes. So, okay, you lose, you lose at pretty, pretty princess and you're really upset about it. The thing is you don't have the context. You don't have the context for what real loss looks like. That's right. So knowing how to name and navigate that, what feels like a big loss in the moment, but in the grand scheme of eternity and loss and grief is really a blip. But knowing how to acknowledge that, give it the dignity. Yes. Not just jumping to don't be a poor sport. It's okay. That's right. It's okay that you lost. I know it's hard. There will be another game. And after you've had a few of those conversations, then you can go to, are you being, are you being a good loser? Right. Like that's important. Yeah. Don't get don't hear parents don't hear me say like you can't tell your children to be better players of pretty pretty princess. That's okay. Yes. But at least acknowledge like hey this is a big deal. And one of the therapists that I I've known for a long time her name is Dr. Emily DeYoung. She's at Winning at Home. She's probably one of the best pediatric therapists in Michigan. Mm. Maybe maybe the country. She's amazing. I'll go that far. Wow. And maybe Emily, you're listening. Love you. You are amazing. <laughs> Come on the podcast. Come on the podcast. You, you will at some point. Um, but she said once to me, what if, what if it's a bigger deal to the child than you think? You lose it, pretty, pretty princess, or you feel embarrassed because your dad said, dude, yeah. what are you doing? Or, well, my, so my wife is leaving for Pennsylvania on Saturday. She's going to be gone till Wednesday. She did this last year. She went to Colorado for a handful of days. And this morning, my son said to her, I don't want you to leave. And he, he burst into tears. Mm. And I wasn't there. I was not there. I was at a breakfast meeting and I came home after her and got to take him to school, but he was really sad. Mm. And while we were driving to school, he just said, I, I don't want her to go. And he got a little teary. And I grew up in a generation, Al, where I heard it often. Don't cry. Mm. Act like a man. Man. Worst statement. Worst statement. Yeah. And in fact, I'm big into superheroes. Mm. I love superheroes. And um, and someone once said, you know, you gotta you gotta tell your kids Batman doesn't cry. Mm. 
And I was like, yeah, we don't use those words in my house. It is okay yeah. to cry. La- last, time, last time I read through the Holy Scriptures, the quintessential man, Jesus, perfected man in humanity, cried his eyes out to the point where people could hear him. And he said, my friend has died and it is okay to cry. Yeah. Effectively. And I, I mean, I feel like I'm on a tangent. Maybe I am, but that's okay. Uh, I just like, I know a lot of men who cry and they are big, strong. <laughs> they are men. And being emotional doesn't make them less manly. Yeah. In fact, as David Thomas would say, it actually means that they've done the work to be emotionally strong. Yeah. And I would argue that being able to be in touch enough with your own feelings and emotions not only benefits you as an individual, but helps you connect with other people in relationship. And the reason I say that is because I think, you know, I'm thinking back to, we're talking about perspective and, and, um, naming feelings and emotions. And my son had a classmate this year who lost a parent. Mm. And when, when the topic came up at our house, we were letting him lead the, the conversation and say, tell me, you know, what, what happened at school today? Well, this is what I learned. And we were on our bed. We were doing story time and we were getting ready for bed and we were all sitting on our bed and we all, the four of us, Courtney, my wife and I, and the two boys, uh, our daughter was already asleep, sat there and cried together for about 10 straight minutes. I mean, just sad. And I had this moment where I thought, this is important because we're exploring what it means to feel and share feelings with someone else in a moment. And I think all that kind of comes back to relating and doing the hard work of sitting that's uncomfortable to sit in that feeling totally to sit in that sadness to name it and then share that that's hard work that's hard work as david thomas writes our children learn more from observation than mm-hmm. they do information and so i'm just if I can't access my own grief. How can I possibly ask my son to do that? Oof. It's good. I I had a moment last week I was driving Pike and Christy to school. Every once in a while on a Friday I get to drop both of them off. 
And it's a rare treat because we're all in the car going to school. And it's just like, we don't often get to be the three of us driving to the school. Yep. And I was going to meet with my dad. And, you know, my dad has Parkinson's and um, my my wife asked, you know, was I looking forward to, you know, spending time with my dad? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm of course, I'm I'm looking forward to being with him. And then she said, is it hard? Is it hard to to be with him? And in one sense, no, it's not hard. I mean, it's it's great. It's awesome to be with him. In another, the more time I spend with him, the more I realize like he has a degenerative neurological disorder that will eventually take him from this like earthly life far faster than I want. And like I, I got sad. I was sad. And I didn't, I didn't know what else to say. And there was this weird, like tense quiet in the car and Pike's in the back watching, watching the whole thing unfold. And there was this moment where I, I was almost like I needed to apologize. I needed, like, I felt like I needed to apologize because I was sad. And then I was like, no, that's like, why? That's stupid. Why would I, why would I apologize for something that I feel? And it's actually really important for everybody to sit in, sit in that sadness Mm -hmm. for a moment, because that's going to give context. And it's going to give, at some point, permission for my son to sit in his own sadness without feeling the need to escape or apologize. Yeah, that's that's good. That's important. By the way, when you do an episode just on empathy, will you invite me back for chapter three? I've got some, I just feel like there's some things that we could go into. I feel like, I feel like Alex Vogelzang is going to be a regular... <laughs> Visitor oh. on the Chaplaincy on the Go podcast. Oh, it's music to my ears. No, but I think I, I think you're right that as a as a society, and you know, I'll, I've lived in West Michigan for long enough to to probably be part of of that. But um, we're so quick to want to get through the discomfort quick. We got to get, you know, I'm sad and I need to quick apologize to my son because I don't want him to. Nah, it's, it's, that's not it. Um, you know, and it comes from a place of you're actually, you're actually thinking of your son and you're saying, well, I, I want him to have a good experience right now. I don't want him to like sit in this sadness with me. Uh, but you don't need to do that. You don't need to, rush through that and and apologize for that and there's a whole there's a whole like i said there's a whole series probably on that but i think so yeah it's funny you um you know you you've talked about wanting to get the tattoo heaven doesn't need more angels which i i sort of want to get a tattoo that says i'm not sorry for how i feel yeah (laughs) and if you're not comfortable with how i feel that's your problem that's right and that seems crass, but I feel like it's a necessary statement mm-hmm. because I, I talk to so many people who apologize for feeling how they feel. Yeah. And I'm baffled by that. But then I confront it myself and I'm like, I feel like I have to apologize. Yes. 
Why? These are real feelings and they're important and I feel them. They matter. Yeah. So why not name them and navigate them? Yeah. And if you want to round it out in a way, in a healthy way, it's not, it's not to apologize for it. I think the last milestone that David Thomas mentions is resourcefulness. Yeah. So now it's turning that into something beautiful and something good. And he says, you know, this is where boys specifically, but all of us get tripped up probably the easiest because you take an experience or you take a moment and it has an impact on you. And it is hard to turn that into something constructive. I think about my own journey and the the path that I've taken and the things that I've done in my career with law enforcement and um, children's protective services and now with Care Portal, working with vulnerable kids and families. And I see, I start to see some of the pieces being put together and some of that resourcefulness trying to come out and say, I had this experience. And I would like to try to help other people navigate something similar or an experience that they're having. How do I do that? Yep. And there's a there's a pain in my past that if I'm willing to lean into and not avoid, not numb out, not escape, but recognize, dignify, acknowledge, do the deeper work of of working through that incident or the ripple effect of that, that pain, when done rightly, and let's put it in the words of Steve Carter, mm. when we are willing to to acknowledge that and open ourselves to the love and presence of God and the healing of God's action within, that pain then gets leveraged for a greater purpose. And we don't know what that purpose is, but it reminds me that Viktor Frankl, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, said that we don't find purpose in suffering. We find purpose and meaning after we go through it and what we do as a result of going through it. So many times we sit and we ask the question, why is this happening to me? As opposed to saying, what am I going to do with it now that it's happened? Because that's actually where meaning and purpose, we find the why in the what after it has occurred. Yeah. Which is hard because while it's happening, it's hard to see that far ahead. When you're in that suffering, It's hard to look past it and say, I know something good is on the other side of this. Because the the pain in the moment can block that out. Yeah. And I don't know if it's even helpful to say, I know God's going to use this in the future. or I know something good will come of this in the future. Right. I think it's more important to say, this is really hard and I don't like it. And I have to go through it. And hopefully, I don't go through it alone because I have other people around me who can say, hey, you don't have to have it today. Right. You don't have to have it today. 
I got you. I have it today. I'll share a little bit with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's really good. I feel like raising boys can't happen well unless we're willing to let other men into our lives to help us. Yeah. And it can't happen well unless we're willing to do the work of like raising ourselves. Yeah. First. Yep. That's right. Yeah. You guys, you and David talked about pace setters and um, the importance of, of other outside positive influences. You know, I think of teachers and coaches and mentors and things like that. Friends, you know, you go on camping trips with, and and you just do life together and then do the hard work of, of exploring your own feelings and emotions and hurts and, and being vulnerable about that and saying, yeah, this is a thing that I'm, I'm going through and I'm sad right now. Yeah. Because of this. Yeah. I'll be okay. But yeah, I'm sad right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually taken me, it's taken me some work when people will say, Hey, like, how's your dad doing? I have to stop and say, not great. Yeah. I mean, not great. I, I wish I could tell you something else. Right. And that's honestly the, that's the easiest answer for me to give. And it's really hard to give that one. Cause what I want to say is, Oh, he's, he's all right. Well, that's a lie. Yeah. Isn't it? It's not all right. right. Nothing is all right with yeah. that. Um, but, but the more and more I am around people who will allow me to do that and give me the freedom to do that. And the more and more I'm willing to lean into being honest about the not great moments of life, the, the easier it feels. It's never easy. Um, there's a great quote from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. Uh, that which we persist in doing becomes easier, not that the nature of the task has changed, but our capacity to do has increased. And I find that to be completely true with the emotional work. Mm. It's never easy, but our capacity to do it increases. And the, I mean, it's, it's, and we're back, we're back to, Hey, I just lost at pretty, pretty princess. And it's okay. How are you going to navigate that? And then you do that enough times. And then when like more loss comes or a more significant loss or a deeper loss, or you feel it more deeply comes, you're not, it's not easy, but you've done it enough. You've lost at pretty princess enough to know that like losing at the soccer game or losing a loved one or losing a job or lo losing what losing hurts, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to take you out and you don't have to react in a way that hurts other people. Ooh, yeah, it's good. And that, and that's, that's part of raising boys. I think that's part of like raising ourselves. Right. And yeah, I guess as we, you know, as we wrap up and part of this is, you know, I, I just think a little bit of like the addiction conversation of if you're not going to do the work of the emotional work of saying, this is how I feel, it's always going to be easy to um, say, well, I just won't feel anything. And I heard something. You're going to love this. Heard it from Brene Brown. 
you can't selectively numb. Mm. Is that another tattoo idea? Oh, that might be another tattoo idea. You can't selectively numb. So if you are feeling emotionally compromised in some way and you don't like feeling that way and you choose to take a drink, you you can't selectively numb that. You numb everything. Mm. And that's the problem with escaping or numbing out instead of facing the reality of whatever emotional thing there is. Yeah. That's good. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So how about that for for those listening here as we kind of wrap up? You can't selectively numb. And if you're not willing to do the work, if we're not willing to do the emotional work of facing those challenging moments, what's going to be tough? And, and, and your ability to handle your emotions is directly proportional to your children and their ability to handle theirs. And so that's the conversation for today. Kind of a fun little journey that we went on with Al here. Uh, Al, thanks for being here. And I look forward to future empathy conversations. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Josh. Uh, Chapter three, I think is just around the corner. So I'm looking forward to it. And if you are wanting to learn more about raising boys or working through your emotions or you know of someone who would benefit from this podcast, go ahead and share it with them. If you work for a company or a business that you think would benefit from having a conversation like this and a lunch and learn or training, you can go to our website, fearlesschaplaincy.org, or you can email us at chaplaincy at fearlessfollower.org. We would love to come in and talk with you and your team. We will talk with you later.